Well, hi guys, and finally welcome back to In The Weeds podcast. Had a few weeks break, needing a little time to reflect for myself after a whale in a few months, and I'm sure that's the same for a lot of people. But anyway, we're back with some fantastic episodes. And this week, for episode 7, Natalia Ribe joins us from Margate, who is the co-founder of Barletta and the founder of Ladies of Restaurants. This leads a positive action that addresses the gender gap in the hospitality industry and has now become an internationally renowned organization. I think it's something she should be really proud of and it's a great movement for women in the restaurant business. Natalia's third favorite hobby after drinking and eating is most certainly talking. That's her words, not mine. And uh, So we're in the right place for this one. So time to learn more about it all. As we all look to live in a freer, fairer, diverse world, of equality for ourselves and our children post-COVID-19. So please, guys, enjoy. Peace. Welcome back, guys, to episode seven of In The Weeds podcast. We're back after a two-week hiatus. I needed a little break. But we're back this evening with uh, Natalia Ribe, uh, founder of Ladies of Restaurants and co-founder of Balletta, in Margate. How are you doing? Uh, hopefully I got you um, correct. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely smashed it out of the park. Nobody really gets it right, actually. So I'm very impressed. <laughs> oh yeah, good. So where does that originate from? Well, the name Natalia, I guess it's Italian, it's Russian, it's Brazilian, it's Spanish. And it's very popular in Poland. My dad is German, my mom's American. My dad just liked the name. And then my surname is actually in German pronounced Kribbe. Um, but that is just, I mean, too much. So we Americanized it. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So it's great to have you on anyway. Just like to you to, first of all, you know, let's, so the audience are aware who they're talking to. So how you ended up in the hospitality industry? I know a lot of people I've had on so far have actually been, it's, they've been born into it. So is that something that's happened to yourself? Yes. Um, thank you so much for having me, by the way. Um, yeah, absolute pleasure to be on and asked. Um, yeah, my dad actually was an orphan after the war in Germany and he needed to find a career. So, um, when he was 18, he actually trained to become a chef and then that allows him to travel. And he ended up in America and he worked for Marriott Hotel Group for over 30 years as a chef and then ended up being a hotel manager and an executive chef for the group at one point and so it was always a part of you know my my upbringing we were I just thought that you just entered a hotel from the back of it mostly (laughs) you know like like the smell of sort of you know fresh laundry and the pastry section just seemed normal to me I loved Take Your Daughters to Work Day. That was my absolute favorite. Just, you know, it was like the 90s when they all wore the toques, the paper toques. But I never wanted to go into the kitchen or I wanted to go into hospitality. I loved hosting because I loved performing. Mm -hmm. And I was just convinced that I was going to be the next Britney Spears for the majority (laughs) of my life. Okay. Um, Genuinely, I trained myself in my bedroom like any teenage girl did you know holding on to that i'm still very much holding on to that you want to give us a a little go on (laughs) when i come up to liverpool you can take me out and i'll get a little bit pissed and i'll give you the i still know the whole slave for you routine um (laughs) (laughs) no but um I was such a performer and I loved, yeah, like hosting. And even when I went to university, I did go to study theater, but I would always host these elaborate dinner parties in my flat um, in New York. I ended up going to university in New York um, after traveling around Eastern Europe for my upbringing because of Marriott Hotels. Um, And I worked in Michelin star restaurants when I was in university. And that was my sort of real taste into the hospitality industry and how it how exciting it could be and fast and fun and also that I could go to work and be paid to like make people happy and then I would also get to taste loads of food (laughs) and wine I was like sign me up (laughs) Um, but to be honest the love affair with the industry for a long-term career didn't really happen until my like I would say early 20s when I really started to become more serious about it and realized that maybe the performing side of my life was A, not going to happen because I was way more interested in after work pints than I was in <laughs> going to my auditions. So I guess I kind of fell into it um, out, of, 
out of laziness, um, but, but, but for the best, for the best, you know, it's all ended up for the best. And yeah, I worked around quite a few great restaurants in New York that have since closed, but they were some of the, you know, hot ones of the time. And then um, Blue Water I, Grill is one, is that right? Yeah, Blue Water Grill, so sad, closed. Probably one of my favorite places I ever worked. It was like high volume. We did 700 covers for brunch on a Sunday. <laughs> it was like food camp training if you were a server. Like everyone said, if you work for a BR guest restaurant, you can work anywhere. I worked for David Boulay, who in the 90s, he was, you know, like one of the hottest chefs and early 2000s. I'm sure you would hate for me to say that. Um, <laughs> As a woman, that was quite an experience to work there. I was told on my first day of work there that I wasn't allowed to wear trousers. I was the maitre d' that all women had to wear skirts and dresses. Okay. So mm. that was another, my first introductions into the whole sexism <laughs> industry. Right. And I worked at Le Cirque, which is in movies, and Woody Allen was our regular on a Sunday. And, you know, we did the Blood Diamond premiere party, and I almost got sent home because I wouldn't stop staring at Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, and it was... <laughs> It was like just exciting. New York was exciting, yeah. um, but I just it didn't agree with me. So I moved to London in 2012, and I wanted to move off the floor. I'd done so many operational roles, and I felt like at 27 I knew everything, as you do. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I applied for some more, yeah, I guess more office-based jobs. I wanted to move into that and marketing and events because again, like, and this is something I really want to make sure that we touch on is there is a lack of career trajectory that gets talked about within our industry. Yeah. And so you, for me, I looked at it as like, am I supposed to end up as a burnt out manager? Is that where I'm supposed to go? Cause that was all I was seeing yeah. and I didn't want that. So my immediate reaction was I need to move to an office job. Mm -hmm. I need to learn about marketing. I need to learn about events. I need to get off of the floor. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to end up like them. No, and I, I, yeah, it made me sad. And I think that I did end up getting those office jobs and it, it took me off the floor. And then all I wanted was to get back on the floor because that's where, you know, that's where you fall in love with this industry. That's where the best part of it is, is the face-to-face -face being a part of it interaction. But again, as a woman, you think about long-term how... I want to have a family or um, a work-life balance definitely came up. I was a young woman who just moved to a new city. I wanted to be able to go out and meet people and make new friends and, you know, maybe meet a partner. Yeah. Um, and those hours don't necessarily always allow you to do those things. So, so I kind of went like a long-winded story of how I ended up where I am. Basically, I've had every job in the industry except for the kitchen and um, I now live in Margate with my partner. I did find a partner in the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we have a little sort of roving food business called Barletta, which is a Mediterranean-inspired food, but we're kind of in this very strange, as most food businesses will be, predicament where we are at pop-up, moving around, our space is being let go, we're looking for a new place, and our menu is going to have to change because of the changing times yeah I, I, uh, your partner is jackson who uh, he yeah. also had a pop-up called chiringuito he's the king of the pop-up that one loves that the pop-up great great i was like i'll call it a restaurant because that's what it was i thought it was a great uh, concept as well as the scaffolding now yeah the, I think the scaffold they just rented so oh, right. it's just back to a warehouse wherever it is we still have a container full of shit um <laughs> don't worry if anyone needs any restaurant goods please let us know because we can probably sell them to you yeah <laughs> so you don't live in london now did you did you find quite fast paced like new york as well or to not? be honest when i landed from new york i was like this place is so quiet it's so <laughs> slow yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, and people go on holiday and there's all these green spaces, like look at all these parks, this is amazing. Absolutely love London and I still love London. It's my favorite city in the world, I think. I just, I knew from the age of 15 that I was gonna move to London. I absolutely love that city. And I think what the food industry has done since I moved there in 2012 is incredible and I do think it rivals the New York dining scene tenfold. Definitely. I think I it's, yeah. Yeah. I think what you said, though, is is true, isn't it? Well, it I, and it, this conversation actually been brought up a few times. I think if anyone with within or wants a career in hospitality, they shouldn't have to be thinking of 
oh my God, I'm going to be working like 78 hours a week. And like, if you want to be taken seriously as a, as an industry, that can't happen. Otherwise, you know, you're going to have people burnt out and, and that's what happens. And it gets a reputation for that, which, which you can't do. Cause then it, then it becomes a low paid overworked job. If you know what I mean? And it still is. And we have a really long way to go. And I think the oh, yeah. more we have these conversations, the better. And I think, unfortunately, not only is it the norm, but I think that it's this like, it's this cool thing. Like, oh my, I worked six doubles last week. And I'm so tired. And I went out till 4am and like, you know, and like, I know that culture is changing, but there is still, it's still there. And because it's so deeply ingrained in some of us like old school kids you know mm. who that we were raised like that it's going to take a really long time because we're the ones managing and grooming you know this next generation of hospitalitarians we need to be the change i, I get mad at jackson about it all the time i'm like stop it you're not working the double we're taking the day off we're not doing that you know we're, and we're both guilty of it but we have to like change what we've been taught which yeah. is that you know the more you work, like you're just going to work yourself into the ground. Yeah, and it does it hard, and and it'll, you know, it'll it'll suppress creativity as well, you know, and it'll just people are burnt out, and like you say, you get stuck on a probably get stuck on a Ferris wheel so much, and it's it's counterproductive in the end. Yeah, like a hamster wheel. But then at the same time, you know, there's an argument for momentum. You know, yeah. something's going so well, and you're going, you're going. Like I feel with ladies in restaurants all the time. Uh, I just took a week off last week and everything was going great. And I felt this, yeah, beautiful momentum. And then I pulled myself off the hamster wheel. And this week, getting stuck back into work, you know, it's, this is day three. And I'm like barely through one inbox. <laughs> well, a couple of people actually said to, to me about, oh, why don't you have Natalia on the, the podcast? Um, <laughs> and, I, and I was actually, because I was talking about kind of the direction I wanted to go in. Um, and actually, your name, like I said, it already came to light anyway from knowing what you'd done in one of our venues with, with the events. So you obviously started the Ladies of Restaurants. Do you want to tell us a little bit how that came about? Yeah, um, I think it was initially born out of anger <laughs> yeah. um, from horrible um, male bosses that I unfortunately endured as a young hospitality person right. coming up the ranks. And I think then, it, secondly, it's obviously mainly has come out of, and what I said before about this lack of um, career trajectory, visibility for career trajectory and a lack of, for women, yeah. uh, role models. Like I was always, as a lot of women my age or women working in the industry, we're constantly surrounded by men. And men operate differently to women and manage differently and need thing, different things. And also, you can't be what you can't see. So therefore, I might not ask for that job or do that or think that I can achieve something. I don't see someone else do it. And not to say that all pe women or people are followers, but we all have someone that inspires us. I mean, it's nice to see someone. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, what it was born out of, was wanting to say, like, hey, ladies, this is not a stopgap job. This is really great. And actually, we're going to legitimize it, and it's going to be awesome. These are all the great women who are doing stuff now. And you can come to this event and meet some other young people who are other women who are in this industry, and we all have the same problems. Oh, and problems? We can work through those. Let's talk about them. Oh, and do you want to do your own event? You're a sous chef? That's fine. Here you go. Do your own event. Or have you ever thought about becoming a, a mixologist? Okay, meet so-and-so. She can help train you, you know? So in my head, in the long-term vision of it, yeah. is establishing this global community that allows women from across the world within this wonderful world of food, drink, and hospitality to connect constantly. And it's a long time away, but we, you know, have fully established ourselves in London, Manchester, and Edinburgh. Yeah. With beautiful trickling of bubbles of people in Birmingham, in Liverpool, in Glasgow, in New York, in LA, in Helsinki. Like, whenever I get a message from someone in, like, Sydney, Australia, I'm like, are you kidding me? But it just, for me, shows that the things that we're talking about, that Lazy Restaurants is trying to channel, the things that we want to achieve, 
other women across the world feel too. So we keep going. Yeah. And why, why call it that? I read something is, well, lady is a polite and formal way to refer to a woman. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I just thought it's a basically, it's a play on ladies who lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and also when a man calls you a lady, it's fit. You're like, don't call me that. Yeah. And like ladies, you know, <laughs> so. And I think there's a lot of female and women groups called that female women. There's nothing yeah. really called ladies. And I just, yeah, I just liked it. It's a cool name. Yeah. And how long's that been going now? So uh, I guess quite like solidly. It was a bit of a, you know, we'll meet down the pub and bitch about our yeah. <laughs> jobs kind of thing for like a year. Um, so we'll just scrap that year. Three years? All right. Two or three years? Yeah. Cool. And Not I, I, too long. No, no. Still in it's infancy, so to speak. It's infancy, yes. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I find some of them really creative and like, you know, super talented and, and they, they speak, obviously drawn to, to your initiative. I think it's, um, Yay. yeah, no, I think, I think it's a, inspiring for them to have that. You know what I mean? I think like, I, I'm not surprised you're getting calls from a, from around the world because obviously there needs to be a voice for that. I don't know. Is there anyone else doing anything similar? I think there are a lot of um, amazing groups out there that are doing things for chefs. And yeah. I think one of my biggest focuses with LOR is to always try and encapsulate all the many ways that you can work in this industry sure. that, you know, includes the PR and communications girls, ladies, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it includes the front of house, it includes finance, HR, and chefs. I think, you know, chefs will always be front and center. You know, they're the lead singer of the rock group. Mm. But let's not forget about the bass player and the drummer because... <laughs> no, I think you're right. I, 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 well, I'm from a front of house background myself. And I think, you know, I've had quite a few chefs on here and they all say the same thing. It's mad though, because like 10, 20 years ago, no one wanted to speak to the chef. Whereas now everybody wants to see, speak to the chef. It's the in thing. They're like rock stars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it like just like some of my friends who are, you know, quite well known established chefs that to me, they're just, you know, idiots really. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, great. I love them. But, you know, and I just see people falling over them and it's so funny to me. Like on on a serious note, what did you find kind of the most difficult thing when you said you've worked for some horrible bosses? What? What kind of things are you talking about there? I mean, manipulation, gaslighting, um, offering better pay, better schedules to the new male manager. Right. Massive bullying. The gaslighting was like out of control, though. I mean, to the point where I think that I was writing about it the other week in a newsletter, actually, when we were talking about Mental Health Awareness Week. I always do these really like sort of, emotional letters at the start of our newsletters of sort of what's going on in my head that week and then it tapped into that his particular experiences with this one general manager I had and I think I kind of forgot like how bad he had got to me and how awful that situation was and because I come back to that lack of you know role models and leadership surrounded in a female sense I don't think I didn't feel like I had anyone I could turn to and say like this is happening right yeah this isn't like Am I being crazy? Because obviously I was being made out to feel like I was crazy or that I was wrong. And it takes a while to come back from that. And I, I know that a lot of women have experienced that. And I hope that with Ladies of Restaurants, we can give women the courage to stand up in those situations or at least use us as an outlet to find a, or use us as a tool to find a solution to that problem. I've had girls unfortunately more than once you know write me direct messages on ladies of restaurants with horrible stories of their managers or bosses and it's it's happening like every day um and i think it's so great though that they have ladies of restaurants they feel as a safe space that they can write knowing that we'll respond even if it's maybe not the right answer we're here to listen and that was another thing with these like you know bullying bad male managers you never felt heard Mm. I think that's like, you know, with victims of sexual harassment, that's always their biggest thing. They want to feel heard. 
They want to feel yeah. like you understand, you acknowledge what has happened to them. And that's what we're trying to do. Mm. No, that's a, that's go on like an emotional note there, but it, no, you know, it, but it, it, yeah, well, it's a serious matter, isn't it? Do you think it's any better than it was? Or do you think it's like evolved into something else or what? Yeah, I think that it's definitely better. Yeah. I think that women as a whole gender have so much more courage than we have ever mm. in, in our history as a gender. Mm. Um, I do still think that, you know, we have some serious issues to iron out. And, and that comes back to my, one of my initial points about um, breaking that cycle within us who have been trained. Like I've, you know, was bullied so bad that I can see sometimes like when I get in the weeds, Um, when I get in the weeds in service my you know initial jerk reaction of how I speak to the staff maybe isn't always the best Mm. and I have to really like check myself I'm like oh god don't do that you know that's not how we handle it yeah or you know so it has it does come back to us I think yes it has changed I think there's still so many of, of us you know generation that that's how we were taught that we have to weed out all the bad behavior to really, really fix it, I guess. Yeah, and, and especially with the Me Too movement, again, like women are, mm-hmm. more women are feeling empowered to speak up about situations that. Yeah, occur. because obviously people are different and people, you know, there's different diversity and things and people need that direction and voice for maybe something they find similar or they can relate to rather than, but you, you know, you're still always going to have that sort of, chauvinistic attitude of uh well you know they're just jumping on a bandwagon or this and that and that's I'm, I'm sure you've had that as well yeah I mean every time I have had someone ask me well can men come or yeah uh, are men allowed it's always been a man always you know mm-hmm. and <laughs> or um why don't you have any men sit on the panel and it is something I think about all the time and I think like when's going to be the right time and I've talked about it with my girlfriends and I've talked about it with some of my mentors that I look up to you know even one of my mentors who since I moved to London like is a man and I th- love him dearly but like I don't know when the right time is to bring them into the conversation I don't think we've established fully that safe space just yet um, I just want because you just brought that wonderful word, the D word, diversity, um, and obviously with what's going on in America. And I don't think that we should shy away from the fact that. What are your plans moving forward with a ladies' restaurants? What you, where do you see it going in the next couple of years? What, how would you like like it to go anyway? I mean, world domination, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, we're going to be launching a membership scheme which I was really on the fence about for a very long time. Why? Uh, as we know, we don't have a huge disposable income. Okay. So I'm always very sensitive to that with any, all of our events, wanting to make sure that they're financially accessible for everyone. But I think that this is going to be a good thing. Um, so, yes, yeah, so and more on that will be announced later in June. Start of July, we'll start taking membership you know you, anyone will be accepted it's not like a me- i hate that word membership too i want to try and come with a fun more fun way of, of calling it that you'll become okay. an lor for life and how do you do that uh, how do you sign off so i would say the best thing to do is definitely subscribe to our newsletter and if you don't already follow us on instagram because that's where all of the updates will be and and it's going to be a pretty simple, straightforward monthly membership, but it'll come with some great perks that will encompass food and mental health and, and well-being and some lore perks and some membership events that you know you only get to go to if you're a member and access to, there's something that I'm working on, well, working title is called Thought Partners. I get asked a lot of the time about having mentors and mentorship, which I really want to call women touring um, okay. Okay. Yeah, or, or as my friend calls it meant lordship i mean there's many mm-hmm. <laughs> we're playing around with things anyway but the thought partner scheme would be if you for example i had a woman in baltimore who's setting up a bagel place okay she got in touch with me and she was like i really love to bounce some ideas off of someone as a woman in the industry the only one that i could talk to and i was like i actually have a friend in edinburgh who has an amazing bagel chain. She's great. You should meet her. And they went off and chatted and hopefully something good happened. So we'd like to expand on that. 
And if you become an LOR member, then that will be a perk that you have access to. Oh, I love that. that uh, that'll work really well. That's a great, it's a world of small place, isn't it? If you can get people connected, for sure. Exactly, and that is that that global community that mm. I really want us to build. You know, I just think about when I moved to London, you know, I was 26, I didn't know what neighborhoods I was supposed to live in, how much money I should be asking for, how to take the night bus home, mm. you know, like what Primark was, like all of these very important questions that, you know, a young person just entering the industry might know if I want to move to Helsinki, I, I can be like, why you meet my friend Hannah, you know, or, you know what I mean? So I think yeah. that'll be a good way for us to build that community. So that, that that's the biggest thing that we're working on. We were supposed to launch our very first festival this year All in right. service, which was supposed to happen on the 30th of March, but obviously COVID. Mm. Um, so... <laughs> so we're we're looking at we've got one date set for late late this year but the more i'm thinking about i think we're going to end up having to push to the start of next year but there will be a little perk so anyway that's watch the space (laughs) basically watch the space because there might be a digital version uh, very soon we're working on it okay that sounds interesting yes we're a very small team we uh it's just me so yeah we just we work slowly i've got two amazing women working on in service with me who are event producers safia and vicky and i don't know how to do without um and they're just the best so yeah hopefully it will be great it was going to be one of the best days i was so excited with margo henderson and romy gill and Gemma bell and Anna Hall and uh, Jill Stein, you know, like we had some great people involved. So we had I think over 60 women who were speaking at the event. Oh, really? Wow. The, yeah. Anyone, I mean, you might want to single anyone out, but is there any women in particular that are shining through at the moment you feel, oh, you could want to do that? No, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. There's so many. <laughs> I think that what uh, Caroline and Izzy at ISCA in Manchester are doing is amazing. They opened up a, a awesome shop and cafe. Obviously, now it's just really a shop in Levenshoom. And I think that their cooking and serving wine-wise is thoughtful. And I just love them. And they were two of my first like Manchester friend, like connections. So. Okay. Mary Ellen McTague, the Creameries. I mean, she is a powerhouse. I think that she's absolutely incredible, unstoppable. There's a woman who I'm speaking to tomorrow on our Instagram live, actually, called Lordy. Yeah. And she's actually based in Hong Kong. She's been working for Simon Rogan for like over five years now. She is front of house and she's just effortless with her hospitality. I think that she's unstoppable as well. She's, you know, young. Like, I think she's like someone to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Um, Ravni Gill just from her first pastry chef book she set something up with Nicola who's also a beautiful gorgeous human being they set something up called Puff Baking Bakery School okay. so if you want to become a baker or you're scared of like going into pastry check them out because they're mm-hmm. amazing I mean there's so many like there's so many women it's yeah I know I'll put, put you on the spot really shouldn't oh, I mean, you can just keep going but yeah. I think it's important that um, also in Liverpool is it Jess Wildlow mm-hmm. and yeah. him yeah. at Coffee and Fandisha in term in um, Baltic Triangle in terms of like cultivating community and trying to like be supportive of, of what's happening there and of women. Kim is amazing. Yeah. We we're supposed to do an event together, but unfortunately we had to cancel it. Just mm. wasn't the right time. Good. Edinburgh too. I mean, Edinburgh is just like heaving with talent. Roberta mm. Hall, the little chart room. You've got Emily and Rachel at 12 Triangles. Laura Bross and Ross Bagels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it? I think it's, it's great to hear. And I think what, you know, what's great about that as well, they're all these are all like young independent businesses that some of these ladies have as well. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's come up a lot. I think we could see a rise of independence even after COVID, potentially even more. It might see, you know, I don't like to see the loss of jobs, but the death of some chains is is yeah. kind of needed, really. <laughs> I think that 
that we will, I, I'm hoping what will happen is because our overheads as small independents are so much less than a big corporation, we will, you know, rise to the top. I, I think at the start, I was a bit concerned that it would be the little guys to go, but actually seeing now the ability to pivot much quicker mm. than the big boys, you know, as much as some of the big boys would have had the resources to allow that, like going online, building an online shop. Yeah they don't have as much to manage. Yeah, true. I mean, quite a lot of them can be built on debt as well, which doesn't help. And then I think... Exactly. So I think then, you know, maybe hopefully we'll stop the pinging of the microwave because some of them are... Some of them aren't even seven food, but I won't mention any names. Like, No, we won't. It is true. So you were mentioning then anyway about the shift show. The shift show. Shift show. (laughs) So that's your new chat show. So... Is this something that's been spawned from isolation or were you starting? COVID. Yeah, COVID. <laughs> yes. <A> COVID project. <laughs> COVID project. You know, I have always wanted my own chat show. Yeah. Um, I think that could still happen, you know, in my older years. Uh, I have a dream. And yeah. I just thought, why not? Like, I'm so used to hosting these events in real life. We might as well just do them online which has been a roller coaster of emotions as much as COVID and isolation. <laughs> I, lo- I have absolutely loved every episode in terms of like having these amazing women on and having such a laugh. And I've learned to cook so many things that I never thought I was going to be able to do. Like Anna from Erst in Manchester taught me how to cook a skate wing, <laughs> which I was so terrified to do. Um, yeah, and I made Irish soda bread, and like through all the technology, the technological difficulties that we faced, so many mishaps in terms of like bad internet connection, we've managed to power through. And people are like, "Oh, the shift show!" Now I get messages. People are like, "Can I come on the shift show?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, yeah. <laughs> this was just a way to like keep everybody engaged and something, I guess, for me to do with my time. But now it's a thing. So. We also have been on a break, the shift show. I'm doing, yeah, like a special little episode tomorrow, which is um, Thursday, which will just be a chat about with, with Lottie in Hong Kong about being a woman of color in the hospitality industry. Right, right. Okay. Uh, but from then, we're going to just be recording them on Zoom, and then I'll be editing them into a bit of a show. Okay. As opposed to Instagram Live. It'll give us a chance to have, you know, a more refined like content heavy show i always do a little uh, staff briefing at the start of every show and i highlight like a special and a vip you know and so it's like yeah we'll be able to have a little more fun with that and yeah i think it's for the best and the fact that i want to keep doing it or that people want it to keep going well it's going to be great and then i'll be able to do it better than just throwing it onto instagram live as just a covid solution now it's like a thing so a good thing to come out of isolation being from such of a diverse background where where do you consider home obviously you live in margate now which is obviously home but yeah which is weird that i was born in new jersey went to high school in hungary in new york and london i just yeah it's a my parents live in florida so where is home here (laughs) i i would say new jersey is where you know new jersey and florida i go back to the most so in terms of like family time but i I, and i don't want to sound like such a ponce but you know i'm a citizen of the world but i'm an international kid you know i went to international school i all my friends are from different countries you know i consider going back to budapest like going home as much as when I get on the plane to come back to the UK or to go see my parents. I, I would say my home with America has always had a difficult relationship. I left when I was 15 and those are those formative years as a teenager, as an adult. And I think I started to really like enjoy the European lifestyle a little too much. So I do find a little bit of conflict when I go back to the States that I never... I've never, um, I'm too American for Europe, but I'm like too European for America. So I have this very yeah, confusing idea. Enough. Budapest is a great place though. It's, oh. a, it's an amazing city. 
Is that what you actually? I managed to go there. We went there for my friend's Hindu. I kid you not. We came back like two days before lockdown. Oh, right. So bad. We were like, we just got to go. We just got to go. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I mean, obviously, at that point, we were all like going to restaurants. We were like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Oh my God, it was so not fine. (laughs) You know, it was so stressful. So, where they closed the borders at midnight the day that we landed. Bloody hell. You got back interesting time. Where are you going to be first on a flight to anyway when you can? What are your favorite cultures? Where do you like to go? My heart is in Spain. Always has been. I just love the culture there. I love the way they eat. I love the like the siestas. I love the way they talk. I love their love of life. I love the dancing. I just, I love all the seaside towns. Like San Sebastian is my favorite place in the whole world. I just, just love it. I think I might move there as an old woman. Yeah. Um, I just think, and Barcelona, like, oh, just love it. So I think Spain probably get me on a plane there. But very close second, definitely Italy. You know, I'm from New Jersey. There is this Italian-American thing. But we just love it. And I love it. And I, you know, similar to Spain in that the, the way that they eat and the, like, aperitivo hour. I just love that. And, like, you know, it's not... It's not excessive. It's just, it's like luxury the way they eat, but it's so simple. Just the little tapas and it's all beautiful produce and just, oh, I just absolutely die for it. But then there's that, yeah, you know, Hungary, Austria in the winter, the Nash Mart and drinking beautiful Gruner Vettliner and having schnitzel. I just want to get on a plane right now and go to all those yeah. places. Big hot bowl goulash and oh, in, in Hungary in the summer, everyone drinks fruch, which is basically just uh, a wine spritzer. <laughs> but you have the different levels of like wine to water ratio, and even something like that, like everyone, oh, let's get a fruch, you know. And you're not like caning it; you're like having a spritzer, you know. So it's, you just drink, and it's so hot. So yeah, I just I love Europe, and it's definitely obsessed with. With the continent. <laughs> no, I agree. I th- Italy and Spain, the culture and the the history of I love history. I love the, I love the buildings. And, oh my god, and the churches! I yeah. love Spanish churches. Yeah. They like scare me so much when I go in them because you can feel like the emotion. It's oh, and then the history—it's just too much for me. No, but they... having to Jackson and I went traveling um almost two years ago now actually all through Southeast Asia and that was a whirlwind and that was something I'd never experienced before and that dining culture as well Thailand like I think my favorite meal we had was in Chiang Mai on the side of the road from a cart bowl of noodles Uh, and some beer from 7-Eleven and it was just like that's the epitome of street food though that's the real street food loved it I loved yeah Southeast Asia was amazing Curry for breakfast. Yeah, I, I, I'm still not sure about that. I'm a, just, I don't know. Oh my God, I never thought in a million years I would say that. But we were on this island in Cambodia and we had a curry for breakfast and it felt normal. It felt normal, yeah. I don't know, and I just love it. You know, like they I, might say that about our food for breakfast. Like, can you imagine giving them, we'd, we'd be like, so and a Cambodian, here's a bagel. Like, I would give them a bagel with, we, you know. Your bagels are good, so you'd be all right. <laughs> you'd be like bagel for breakfast no i know it's 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 mad yeah i I definitely yeah yeah no you've got to respect the cultures but yeah i'm just like my eggs and my my porridge and stuff (laughs) me personally yeah you know i just like to eat i just like to eat and i like to be immersed in whatever is the normal you know yeah you've got to do that wherever you are i'm in it and i just feel like it's, it's normal Okay, we're doing that. Yes. <laughs> okay. So have, you, have you got a go-to meal or a go-to restaurant? I think that if I was allowed to, you know, fly to Barcelona for two days, then we would go to like La Cova Fumada and Bar del Pla. And I would want it because like, that's a lot already, those two places. And then take the train, which is like four hours, with lots of snacks from the grocery store, from the market. And yeah. some claras um, to San Sebastian. Oh, yeah. San Sebastian. And then go to Gambara and have the like spider crab tart and the really delicious jamón on the mini croissants. Uh, 
and the mushroom plate and then go over to La Fepa and have their jamón and talk to my friend Aitzi Bear and you've drink chocolate. You've got it nailed. That's, <laughs> it. That's it. That's what you got to do. That's amazing. That's what I got to do. That's what you got to do. But, you know, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon you'll be able to do that. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so obviously, if well, while you're still in Margate, you've obviously got a lot to do with with Barletta, which is your other project. Um, you want to tell us a little bit where that's up to? Yeah, I mean, Barletta was uh, the reason why we moved to Margate. We opened a pop-up restaurant in Dreamland, which is an amusement park here in the Kentish Seaside. And uh, with no real plan after the season ended. The season ended and it was just so great being here and we, we weren't going to leave. Um, so we ended up taking residency in a wine shop called Urchin Wines up in Cliftonville. That went really well. But obviously since Corona, we have had to reshift everything and the shop that we're in is actually going to no longer exist. Right which is sad, but it's fine. They're going to move to, like I think, an online shop, so that's good. Um, so we're in the midst of agreeing a new property, but instead of continuing with what we were doing, you know, we had to completely look at what do people want, you know. What's, and we did uh, four weeks of takeaway where we just changed the menu every week, and we just did things that we thought people were missing. So we did, like, a really amazing double cheeseburger, like McDonald's, Dirty, and that was, like, crazy popular. And we did like a Szechuan party with hand pulled noodles and cucumber salad, and that was great. And we did like a taco party, with, <laughs> you know, beautiful brisket, and everyone was like, "Yeah, that's fun." Going to set up this. If we get the space, I think we're going to get. We're just going to have this social distance restaurant, and it's just all the hits, you know, a really good burger and just fun, vibrant summer food down the seaside but without taking away the quality and, you know, care and attention that we've always put into our food and hospitality. Mm. Just, yeah. Just want to have some fun. I feel yeah. like that's what we've been trying to do. You know, we just want to have some fun. I want to remember why we're doing this. And I think with Corona, we got a bit like, Oh God, how are we going to do that food takeaway? So we were just kind of, yeah, we're not, we're going to do this. <laughs> Good. Well, you're in a beautiful part of the world, even on your doorstep there. So, you know, yeah. one good thing. And then you've got a, a plethora of out, outdoor space, which is going to be needed, I think. Very lucky to be by the beach. Very, been, been taking advantage of it tenfold. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's really cool. Have you got any final words of positivity for anyone listening? Been asking everyone. Words of positivity. When you, it's really bad, it's probably not that bad. <laughs> and I would say, for me, the first thing I always do when I think it's really bad is take a deep breath, write it down, <laughs> write down your list of what, uh, all the things that you're probably thinking about that are making it so bad. Yeah. And do some exercise. Yeah. You do yoga, right? I do yoga, I do bar, I go swimming in the sea. I used to run with my hips. I'm like an old woman. They've given out on me. So uh, but I just think like, I've been in such a bad mood for like three days and I just did a yoga class before this. So I'm like, I'm back. No, so important. So get your body moving. God, getting in the sea. Do you go in the sea down there? Oh, yeah. It's cold, today. right? Yes, but I think that the more you get in it, then... It's like life. The more you do something, you know, your body and your mind acclimatize to it. Oh, yeah. So um, for me, it's been like actually a mental health thing. I just, it's like, uh, it pushes me. So I'm like, you got to go in. Like at the start of the season, I was like, you have to go in just to do a dip, you know? And then it was like, you yeah. have to go in for 30 seconds. They got in for 60 seconds. And now, now I can just go and swim. There's, a, there's a huge thing about mental health. Have you heard of a guy called Iceman Hoff? Oh, I mean, I did the Wim Hof free yeah, one were... week pro. Yeah. Deep <laughs> breath, man. You should breathe through it. It works yeah. though. And I take cold showers. I, um, I swear by the cold shower. Yeah. It's so... obviously a hangover. They're excellent. But also just to like get your head in mm -hmm. the game. Yeah, it's great for metabolism. Some uh, friends of ours did um, 
actually went over to Poland for the week and spent a week with him where they did. I see he's got it. I'll, I'll send you the link because I think it must be still on his Instagram. And um, and it just looked out as well. He came back like, but he takes cold showers every morning now, every five minutes. I do um, I do try myself, but he's got, he actually put, put the hose outside, you know, in the back and actually is outside in the trees with the, every morning. But I think it's like you say, you got to get your body used to it. I did it. I went out like, what did I do? I went to cold water swimming in, in one of the lakes in the Lake District last year. And it was about, he was like, he used to swim in like Siberia and put like, you know. Yeah. yeah and he was like, it, it was cold. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, you, it's all about your breathing. Because your body at first, I was like, shit, man, am I, am I supposed to feel like my hands are falling off? And then he's, he's like, no, you just got to breathe and breathe and breathe. And then obviously eventually you get through it. But it's kind of your shock system, isn't it? With your physical and mental attributes battling against each other like it's amazing if you ever come down to margate we have a beautiful tidal pool and it's just you yeah. want to get in it deep but yeah definitely the deep breath because you do go into shock you're like yeah <sighs> oh yeah that's the final word get in, get in the water <laughs> get in the water i am a big believer in getting the water i'm like a fish this is how we like to finish on this show but how have you any in the weeds moments from hospitality. It doesn't have to be hospitality. It could be anything, but in the weeds, obviously meaning, you know, when things are bad, like you say, you know, is any stick in your mind through your life that have kind of been very poignant? I was going to say that there is just one particular in the weeds during service moment that I tell time and time again, just because it was, okay. you know, it's... Tell it anyway. again. Tell it again. Yeah. Uh, so the restaurant Le Cirque in New York which has since closed in the Bloomberg building I mean Beyonce and Jay-Z lived across the street like it was very serious restaurant and there I was 21 years old working there as a waitress in the cocktail bar and we had so many important people in there all the time but obviously one of them was the owner, Sirio Maccioni, which he is like prolific in New York hospitality. I mean, probably one of the most famous New York maitre d's. I feel like he made being a maitre d' in the 80s, like 70s and 80s, like a thing. Yeah. Because yeah, he was a big, boisterous Italian man. He, big guy. Imagine like what you're thinking, Sirio Maccioni. He looks big like guy. that. <laughs> big guy, you know? And it was a really busy Thursday night. It was probably like my first shift after training. And <laughs> the lesson that I learned was um, basically I'd had a tray with um, four champagne flutes on it. Mm -hmm. And I was walking through the bar and it was very busy and Syria was sat down and somebody knocked my elbow. This is why you always put your fingers through the stems of the glass, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And all four glasses of champagne spilled all over Sirio Maccioni. I mean, he stood up. It was like he was coming out of a wave of champagne. There was so much champagne everywhere. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I was like, I'm going to get fired. Oh, my God. I'm so horrible. And I get to be taken in the back by his son, who also worked there. A very big family operation. And I was like, just crying and I was sitting in the back and in the back where we stood the all the wallpaper was a montage of photos from all of the family so I was like stood looking at Sirio crying about spilling champagne on him thinking I'm gonna lose my job because I spilled champagne but the lesson there is put your fingers put through your the stem of the champagne glass yeah and never cry over spilled champagne and what or happened? Two. What did happen? But I didn't get fired. <laughs> and uh, they made a big joke out of it. Basically, once I stopped crying and pulled myself together, I went and walked out to the foyer and he cleaned himself up. And there he was stood with our other two very Italian managers, Benito and Mario. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It was a crazy place to work. Yeah, but uh, And Sirio said to me, Next time, you pay for the dry cleaning. <laughs> and that was that. that was and that. actually, I, I had ended up waiting on him every time he came to the restaurant. He always chose to sit in my section. 
So we developed a bond through the spilling of champagne. So yeah, so so look, things are never as bad as you think they are. See, things are never as bad as you think they are. Come right back to my positive point. You've rounded it up well. I've rounded it without even knowing I was doing it. (laughs) Cool. Uh, One thing I want to ask you, you're not a Bruce Springsteen fan, are you? I mean, it's like illegal if you're from New Jersey and you're not a Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's that. religion. Good. It's religion. Yeah, no. We're I'm... definitely more a Frank Sinatra loving family, but okay. Bruce is, you know, they're both from New Jersey, so it's like, you know. Yeah, I must have seen him. Right? I mean, this is so, just to like give you an idea, my uncle's dog is called Boss. My dog, well, one of my dogs is called Bruce. Say <laughs> no joke. That was him then barking that we'll edit out. But that was, um, yeah, he's called Bruce. I've seen him like eight, eight nine times live. Oh, um, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, big fan. Die hard. Well, I'll uh, tell you where to go in New Jersey. You can see all the, he still lives in New Jersey too. Mm-hmm. He's true. Yeah. Well, I'll, you'll have to send me some links about, you know, when I do the old tour of around there. <laughs> I'm you not just have to go part. to Asbury Park. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I just don't know. Last time I was in New York, we were, we were going to do it, but we were there in November for the marathon, but I didn't uh, wow. I didn't get around to it because it was just... I say, it's good to go, go in the summer. Like, I would say, you know, like, after September, it's like after Labor Day, so things are shut mm-hmm. down, but, like, there's still stuff happening, so but it's not as busy then. So, obviously, like, during summer, it's the shore, so, like, everyone's down at the shore. Yeah. And so it's a bit hectic. But, um, and you've got two kids? I've got twins, yeah. Two yeah, twins. I mean, the Jersey Shore <laughs> is an excellent family vacation. Just like rent a house for a couple of weeks, get a car, just live down the shore. I can tell you all the good beach towns. Ah, uh, okay. That's, uh, I'll hold you to that one. Good. Yeah, that's fine. It's, it's, be, it's great what you're doing with ladies at restaurants. I think you should be really proud of yourself. So I'm, I'm really glad you've come on anyway. Hopefully everything's good for you in the next, the next year. Fingers crossed. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to listen back to all of the podcasts. Now, you know, new podcasts to listen to. Yay. I'm not going to listen to my own episode, obviously. Oh, you've got to. You've got to. It'll be good. People will listen. Let's get some feedback. Let us know what it's like. <laughs> Great. Take it easy. You too. Some interesting points there, I'm sure you'll agree. And some actions that need leaving firmly in the past. So if you want to catch up with Natalia and learn more about the LOR, you can check them out on Instagram. It's the Ladies of Restaurants. Uh, you can also catch the shift show on a Wednesday night there at 8pm. Also, if you want to see what's going on by letter, have a look at Balletta Margate on Instagram, due to open on the 4th of July, hopefully. So good luck with that, guys. As always, you can catch me on Fazmangos or mattyfarrell.co.uk. Feedback is always appreciated. Um, and next week we have the Barry Brothers from the Marangrass, the Fat Pig Farm and the Due to Open Lairpool in Liverpool. You might have seen Alice on the latest series of Ready Steady Cook. So it's a great episode. Look forward to that one next Friday. It's a great laugh. So have a great week. Stay safe. Peace.